welcome back to History Now. Today I'm delighted to welcome Cecile Gordon, who's a senior archivist in the Military Archives in Dublin. She's here to talk about the Military Service Pensions Collection. Welcome to the show. Uh, you're the senior archivist in the Military Archives in Dublin and you're the project manager of the Military Pensions yeah, the Military Service, Service, Service Pensions, Pensions Collection. I know yeah, it's a long okay. name, and that's why we call it MSPC yeah. all the time. MSPC. So we, we're probably going to do this. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, could you give us a bit of a background on that and your role in it? Okay. So um, the collection itself, to talk about that, is an organic gathering of of several series, and they all have to do with um, the um, the process of application. Uh, verification and administration and award of pensions and other gratuities including medals and things like that um, um, <coughs> for people who were active uh, or deemed on active service uh, during uh, Easter Rising, the War on Independence and the Civil War. Um, roughly uh, we estimate that there's there are around 275,000 records uh, probably covering somewhat like uh, 80,000 people. Um, the collection itself was uh, created from uh, uh, the enactment of legal pieces from uh, the 20s onwards. Uh, and the first one was enacted in 1923, in June 1923. And the first act uh, was under that first stream of what we call the Army Pensions Act. Uh, and that first act in particular was to recognize and, re and compensate uh, wounded members of a certain organization and their dependents as well, dependents of deceased members of Ogling Nahern um, and, and other organizations, including the National Army. Um, so at that time, it was um, seen as what a state does to probably inspired partially by the treatment of the veterans from World War One, for example, by the British government, um, um, <clears throat> you know, support for pensions, employment and things like that. So that's what a state is supposed to be doing. So that's the start of it. Um, my role in it, uh, we, we started the project in 2008. Um, so 12 years, 12 years on now, uh, we started as all archivists and we started four archivists and a project manager uh, who was Patrick Brennan at the time. Um, and uh, I took over his role two years ago as project manager. Uh, my role is to recommend uh, uh, you know, strategic development of the project, uh, including you know, the processing and the order of processing. Um, what we do as well with the decade of commemorations and how in sync we are with, with, with what's going on in other departments, I make recommendation to the uh, executive branch of the Department of Defense. So roughly, that's, that's what we do. We process, we catalog, we digitize files for access. Um, and we also participate to whenever we can and wherever relevant uh, to uh, public engagement and you know public lectures and just to explain. It's a, it's a quite complex collection because it's so large as well. Um, what makes it complex is the legislation behind it as well. Uh, um, so, so we're trying to explain that through our blog and you know uh, kind of media presence as well on Twitter. So you know that's, uh, that's where we talk a lot about the collection. You said it began in 1923, but there yeah. were other sort of big events 
right up until the 1940s there was a lot of correct but the, the the collection was created through the, this legislation yeah. and the legislation from 1923 uh, they're only looking at the period 1916 to the end of the civil war uh, so the end like i think it goes to the end of september 1923 that that's that's what they're looking the very interesting part of of the collection is that the files stay open until the death of of the claimant that means not only you know what's happening, what happened uh, during the period under scrutiny for, for financial recognition, but you know what happened uh, to that person post-conflict as well, and which is something that's totally unique about, about uh, archives and, and you know, about that period. That period, the revolutionary period in, in Ireland is very well documented. There, there's loads out there. But um, the fact that we know what happened to them in the, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, and even later, is amazing and adds so many layers of, of, of information and knowledge about, about the participants. Um, so, so that makes it really rich, very dense, uh, in, 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 in very heavy in information. Um, so to me, that's one of the very interesting parts of it. Um, what's interesting as well is when, when, when it kicks off in the 20s, obviously in the context of the, the free state, um, there is that vision to be seen to recognize the, the, you know, the actors, but you would have to take care of your own first. So the, the impetus was taking care of the National Army, the wounded and their dependents. That was the main thing. And this is why a year after that first act we were just talking about, um, <clears throat> under that second stream of legislation, the Military Service Pensions Act, uh, so the first one is 1924, um, that act is, is very key because it is seen as discriminatory. It is seen as very restrictive because you would have to have service uh, to even to be eligible to apply, not even to get anything. To be eligible to apply, you would have to have service in the, uh, um, Easter week during the rising or the war independence, but you had to be on the pro-treaty side of the civil war. And in 1932, when Fianna Fáil comes into power, then you can see the opening of the legislation uh, with the Military Service Pensions Act 34, uh, under which Kumanaman suddenly, uh, uh, the members of Kumanaman, the women, are eligible to apply, uh, and uh, obviously taking care of the anti-treaty side as well, the IRA anti-treaty during the Civil War. Was there any difference between you know what was enacted in 1923 and then when Davila and Fianna Fáil come in 1932, in terms of pay, you know, a pension pay, was, yeah. it, was it equal on all, all sides then? Uh, yeah, I mean, depending on, on uh, what you apply for, let's say for wounds, you know, uh, you, you would apply for a wound that you contracted or you, you suffered during, during the events. Uh, I think what happened in 1932, it just enlarged the act a, a little bit and opens up as well to, uh, certainly Kumanaman is, because under 23, Kumanaman is not, mm -hmm. is not recognised, so 32, certainly uh, 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 it's possible. That's why Margaret Skinner, for example, applies for a wound pension under the Act 23 and she doesn't get it. Uh, and to me, that's, that's, that's the biggie because the ICA, and she was a member of the Irish Citizen Army, the ICA is under the Act. As a member of the ICA, she should have been recognized, she should have had compensation there. But after seeking uh, legal, uh, uh, legal advice, uh, it was thought, um, while well, it was decided, it was recommended that the term soldier was only uh, to be taken in the masculine sense. And because Margaret was a woman, 
she could not possibly apply for such a thing. Uh, but Margaret was, was a teacher and, and she's stating that because she was shot and she, she was wounded, uh, uh, you know, she couldn't, let's say, she couldn't lift her, her hand to, to, to write on the blackboard, you know, things like that. So then she, she was, uh, and then later on, she, she got, I think she got her wound patient in 38. And she applied for her service under the 34 Acts, like, like the bulk of, of, of the Commonwealth members. 2008, who was behind digitising it and, you know, presenting well, we, it in we, its we, we, we set that up. Yeah. So basically what happened is that 2006, um, Bertie Ahern and then Taoiseach um, announced, that this, so it was the, the 90th anniversary of the Rising, announced that a, a working group would be set up uh, establishing, you know, recommendation to, to catalogue, to digitise and to provide access to, to these records. Um, so our dual mission was to preserve and make available. That, that's what we do. From when Bertie Ahern makes the announcement yeah, yeah. to when the first batch of files are digitised and put online, what, how, how long was that? Our first release was 2014. But I won't hide the fact that it was ready before that. Um, but we needed to have um, the comfort of having one, one, at least one release ready, you know, one release ahead. Um, because we knew 2016 would, would be a very, very busy year. Um, and we were, we were comfortable with that. So we released um, as many uh, files in relation to 2016, you know, in 2014, so two years before, so that, you know, historians, academics, and, and people had the time to start getting familiar with it, so that the information is out for people, let's say, you know, listing uh, role of honors or locally, or, you know, the GPO as well, they were starting to, to, to move uh, um, there. So that was our first release. Uh, with that came public, the first publication as well, the guide to the collection explaining the legislation, going really deep into all the acts, just to have everything out there. Then it's your fault if you're not reading yeah. it. <laughs> but uh, we didn't want people to, to start going to the wrong conclusions too fast, yeah. because it's easy to see the callousness of the, of the process. It's easy to see that people were hard on by, but there are things, if you put a political slant on it, just, just, just for the sake of it, you know, more often than not, there is an, another explanation mm -hmm. that is a lot less sinister than what it looks like. Okay, so, so now that we're over that hump of 2016 and yeah. probably the, um, like you say, people jumping in with, you know, conclusions that, you know, another, if we can just look at, you know, what process did someone have to go through to make a claim? Yeah, again, that depends what they're claiming for. So if they're claiming for a wound, they would have, um, you know, obviously there's an, an initial application form that details what happened to you and, you know, uh, uh, things like that. And first you have to prove that you're a member of, of an organization agreed under the act. So uh, um, Irish Republican Army or ICA or um, even 4916 Hibernian Rifles, uh, Kumanman, National Army. Um, so that's the first thing you have to have, you have to be a member. Um, most, uh, more often than not, under the Army Pensions Act stream, uh, your application will kick, um, would, would kickstart an inv investigation. So if you're claiming for a wound, the investigation will have a look at, was there negligence? Uh, obviously, you're not getting anything if you were negligent. Um, if you're a dependent 
and you're claiming that you were absolutely financially dependent on, on the, your deceased relative, an invis investigation would look at that. Uh, and those records are really good because they have so much social information, because they look at the living standard, the living circumstances, your revenue, are you getting money from your land, you know, like things like that. So you get a lot. Um, and investigation will make recommendation to the Army Pensions Board, and then you're getting, um, you know, with a certain a level of disablement, are you 20% disabled, are you 40% disabled, um, and then money-wise. For service, it changes as well, and again, this is complicated because they're talking about active service, but active service is way different than what it says, really. Uh, it's not because you were serving in the IRA, let's say, that you're eligible. Uh, and the problem with the definition of active service, I invite everyone to read the, the massive chapter in our book about active service, it's complicated, the definition changes. Mm -hmm. From 1916, active service is not the same as the War Independence Active Service, is not the same as later on. So let's say under the 24 Act, you have to have attacked the enemy forces or destroyed something or um, things like that. 24 Act, very easy to actually apply if you have served and you've done all that. You have a thing, something like a six-pager to fill in, and you need three references from uh, officers that can basically corroborate your claim. Very easy. You just have to be a member of the National Army in, in the Civil War. That, that's, that's that. When it comes to the 1934 Act, things get really complicated. Um, <clears throat> you have a 19-page application form. Um, then you have to provide references um, from officers, from people who, you know, who, uh, who can, again, corroborate your claims. You're probably called in front of the referee and the advisory committee um, to give a sworn statement. Some of them are really long. It's a question answer type of thing. It's typed. Uh, it could be a two-pager and it could be 40 pages. Um, so I think the, the main thing that people should have in mind is like it, when, let's say, the World War I veterans came home, if you had served, you have a pension. This is it. It's very straightforward. In our case, the nature and the quality of the service is assessed, not, not just your membership, um, which put a very different slant on, on the whole process. What have you done? Did you do that alone or did you do that with someone? That would diminish yeah. what you've done. I, do you I, I would imagine that when you get to the 30s and things like beyond, it's probably even a bit harder to you know, make those claims because a lot of the people maybe have, are not there yeah, anymore. Yeah, they they're moved dead, on dead, yeah. or they're dead. Yeah. Uh, so not only is complicated, it, it gets complicated for the women uh, as well because um, how do you judge them? You know, they're not attacking RC barracks. Mm. You know, like, uh, what's, what's the criteria for, for judging their application? And there's really good documentation in the, the admin series um, from John McCoy saying that we're, we can't judge them the same way we judge the men. That's a fact. They're, they're not fighting. Uh, and under the 1934 Act, a definition, the definition of key man is very, very important because it opens the door to non-fighters. And key men, although not fighting directly the enemy, their work is essential to the fighting. Mm -hmm. So if you're making munitions, if you're um, um, all the background engineering as well, the engineers are judged with that definition and that would apply to women. That definition of key men for, for women is very, very important. Um, uh, 
because whether they were living in, in urban contexts or rural, rural areas, uh, they would do a lot of, you know, um, uh, trying to spy the movement, enemy movement. They would eavesdrop, depending on their jobs as well, they would eavesdrop conversation and kind of get, oh, they're moving, you know, they're, they're going to more X, X time or something like that. There's a, a thing as well for women is that, you know, we said you had to be, have to be a member. That's, that's the first thing. You had to be a member of Communement to, to be eligible. The problem with that is that many women were recommended not to become members on purpose to be able to, to do covered activities, basically. And that is complicated. Who do you turn to to, to get a reference? Uh, and we see that trend, which is more than a trend, it's fairly, uh, fairly common, that women go back to uh, men officers of the IRA rather than their hierarchy in Kumanaman to get references because the men would know them better than their own, than their own structure. Uh, especially in, in rural areas, um, uh, they would liaise with the flying columns, they would get supplies, they would uh, cater for them, they would get clothes, cigarettes, you know, all, all of that. And they would liaise more with those men than, than their officer in Kumanaman, let's say, for parades and, and collecting money or, or providing stuff for prisoners. These files are like a game changer for how people research the, the Irish Revolutionary Period. But, you know, and you've just touched on it there, the, how women are represented in that mm -hmm. period. Now, for, you know, generations, women's role was either underplayed or not talked about. Yeah. And this, these collections now open all that up. In, in what way do you see, you know, it, you know, placing women very much in the centre of the revolution? That collection, it is a game changer. It's totally the word for it, actually. Because the collection suddenly weaves them in, back in the narrative. Um, I mean, I, I obviously I knew some names, you know, like you know uh, Leslie Barry or uh, people like that, Leslie Price and and um, even Margaret Skinner. But the bulk of the women in there are absolutely not known. So it's not just a matter of knowing what they've done; it's the matter to know what their names were. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's an identification exercise as well. It's a national identification exercise. The whole thing is. Some of them may still be known, you know, at local level um, or remembered a certain way. But at the national level, those names have been forgotten. Um, so, I mean, through the pure, the sheer opening of the box and, and the cataloging, suddenly they go from dark to light. Mm -hmm. And there, suddenly their names are there, which is amazing. Then there's the, what they've done there and then. And they've done way more than serving a cup of tea uh, uh, to, to, to the guys. Uh, um, and I think what comes through, the, mostly the correspondence and the references from the men is how, and many of them are not shy of saying without her or without them, we could not have done what we, we, we would have no support. We would have no food, we would have no clothes. So, uh, you know, so that it's very good to see. What I'm also interested in is what they've become after. Yeah. Um, so many of them, obviously, and you see marriages between guys of flying columns and, and, and women as well. And women kind of disappear, once they get married, they disappear from, from activity, really. But some of them continue till the end of the Civil War. And their, profile, uh, their profiles are so different. You, you have people, you have women who were really active, like, you know, um, in um, trade unions are, are um, you know, just pure activism, like Helena Maloney, you know, she, she is in there. So you have people like that, you have people like, uh, you know, maybe 
educated like Margaret Skinner, people um, involved in diplomacy like Mary Louise O'Brien, really excellent file. Uh, and that puts her story and the Irish story in, in more European context, which is amazing. And then you have all the, the kind of more local, more rural area of, of women just suddenly their house is taken over for four years by 20 guys every day that they have to feed. Um, an interesting cohort as well as people, uh, women who have um, properties like hotels and things like that and how they use the, the premises to, to, do, to do their own you know, propaganda and store stuff. Uh, and then you have those in, uh, working in intelligence and really like dangerous, like in Dublin Castle, the, the likes of you know Lily Mernon and, and, and people like that, Barnes, um, like really involved, really and doing stuff that is problematic for them as well because no one knows what they're doing. So who do they get for a reference? If one person recruited them just to do that, and then that person dies, no one knows. As a this is the case of, of um, um, Florio Donahue's uh, sister, for instance, like, and he's, he's reluctant to actually write a, a reference letter because it's, it's family. Yeah. But he's kind of saying, if I'm not doing it, no, no one will because I'm the only one to know what she's done and she deserves recognition. So you get, you get loads of different profiles. And what, what I like, you know, we were talking about um, Bloody Sunday and, and, and b big events like that. The collection won't change big events, you know, yeah. they happen, like it's not going to put anything back into question massively. But what it does, it, it, it adds layers of who were connected to pre-event, during the event and after the event. I mean, what happened happens and you have, uh, we have like about maybe, maybe 20, um, fi 20 files for uh, the squad, um, mm -hmm. but now I have like 10, 11 women who are closely connected to that. Yeah. And none of them are members of Kumanman, or so maybe some of them, but the bulk of them are not. But like Bloody Sunday, uh, without the collection, I wouldn't know that, you know, Cla Kathleen Blackburn, I think her name is, um, carried arms to Mount Street and back and attended the, the wounded after. I wouldn't know that. Or, you know, Emily Valentine, who's a Belfast woman, was uh, in Dublin for, for uh, Bloody Sunday and tended the wounded in Croke Park. And I wouldn't know her name. Yeah. So, like you say, the, the large events like uh, Bloody Sunday during the mm. War of Independence, they're not going to change. But what does change is even family histories. Yeah. You know, and I think that's one thing. Obviously, the focus is on what professionals and historians make of that. But because this is open to the public, everyone, yeah. you know, everyone, mm. you know, your family history, you can see, I've, I've found, you know, relatives of my own yeah. in some of the files and it really, you know, you know, it changes your perspective somewhat, yeah. you know, so in terms of what the public can, can, can find, it's, you know, it's, it's massive. In, like, you know yourself, you can go either way. I mean, it's very emotional and some mm. people are completely discovering stuff they were never told, like literally never told. And it's a, it's a bit of a, um, I don't know what it does to the mind because I haven't done my own, my own history yet, but I think it can have a kind of a cognitive dissonance a little bit for some people who are told something yeah. and they discover something else. Um, and, and we're not animals, we absolutely understand that it can create, you know, well, you know, he said he was a certain rank and 
you know, your records must be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that. Your the records must be wrong because he was he was such and such. And obviously we say, well, well you know, he's not even claiming this. Yeah. You know, or people who claimed they were in 1916 and you know they're not they're not successful yeah. in their pension applications. Yeah. Again, being unsuccessful doesn't mean you weren't there. Yeah. It just means that you're not ticking all the boxes they wanted you to tick. That is that. Yeah. But in families, it's a, it's a myth-busting uh, yeah. collection completely. Can I just go on now to the, the current release? And this, is that the eighth yeah. release? Yeah. What did we have on this one? We had um, just under 5,000 files. We had a, a few files for RMN um, um, in, in Manchester, for example. And uh, um, we've had... Um, a few more fires, some of them were out already, but a few more fires for the explosion, salt, salt mills, um, salt mines, sorry, in County Wexford, where, um, where people died and some others were wounded during the explosion while making munitions. Um, we have a 300 more women, um, some of them working in intelligence, like I think we talked about uh, Lily O'Shea, Limi as well, and some some amazing stories. Um, she was so involved. She was in Summerhill in Dublin, and again involved in intelligence, part of Michael Collins' network. That's another area of research that I can't wait for all the all the, the applications to be out, um, because more and more women are just connected. Again, not members. I think she was a member of Cumnamon at the start, but then she worked very locally in Dublin, and and she actually arranged meetings for to to to. to take people in those circles and to have them meet Michael Collins. Um, people, uh, women working with arms a lot. Um, and um, what else we have? And we had like a, a few more fires for Belfast and, and, and Derry for the North as well. There's a really interesting one and I've, and I've made a note of it, you know, of, of a Protestant IRA yeah. members. You know, there's that sort of element as well where, you know, can change what people's yeah, perspective. It's totally different angle. Mm -hmm. Like what people have to uh, imagine as well is that the, the conflict in the north is a completely different type of conflict than the rest of the country. Um, there is uh, this, um, and you, you find that in the file, that in all the files uh, for, for the north, that there is a sense of abandonment uh, felt by Northern IRA that um, you know, they're saying there's a lack of understanding from the southerners as to what type of conflict they were facing. Very hostile civil, uh, population uh, with access to arms, uh, huge number of opposing forces compared to what the, the south you know, what was, uh, was experiencing. So you, you know, A, B and C, constabulary, like, I mean, they felt vulnerable uh, and they were a minority um, so, so there's all of that. The truth was not really a truth. Where the level of conflict falls off pretty much elsewhere, the, the, the truth in the north is not happening. It's actually escalating. Um, so, so there's a lot of that. Um, they're also contending that um, the way the pensions is working, you know, you have the schedules and different periods, and some periods are more important than others to have. Um, but that reflects the experience on the whole country. It doesn't reflect the experience in, in Ulster. Uh, and, 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 and the IRA men are saying, look, the truce was the worst time and there's no weight placed on our service there. So we are at disadvantage. Um, and those fires, I think we have 25 more for uh, men and women in Belfast um, in Derry and 27 for, for, for Belfast. And those three men are completely different. The part of that, that you know, um, Protestant Republicanism tradition, um, we have um, 
Robert Graham first, who's, who's um, involved in intelligence in Belfast first, then act uh, until 2021, and then act as a liaison for, for Derry for the 2nd Northern Division, until he ends up quartermaster for the 2nd Northern Division, and he's very involved in all of that. Uh, but he sees himself as totally part of that, that Protestant republicanism. He, that, that, that's how he describes himself. Um, but he ends up in Tipperary. That, 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 you know, and again, it kind of also reflects the fact that uh, after they were involved in there, the Northern Ireland men, whether they continue to be involved or not, are being harassed. Uh, there is so much discrimination regarding employment as well that, that many fled Ulster at that moment. So he's one of them. Two other fires uh, illustrate that, uh, that tradition of, of uh, um, uh, Protestant republicanism is uh, Charles, uh, Stuart, Charles Michael Stewart and um, uh, Robert Haskin as well. So again, it's only three fires like that, but I think it, it, it puts a different slant on things and just a different angle. Um, so um, there are other fires for, for Belfast and Derry, uh, also talking about the riots, uh, the riots in May, June 1920 escalating to a virtual civil war atmosphere in, in, uh, in, in Derry. Very complicated, ex-British servicemen being targeted as well. Mm -hmm. um, so they're very, very complicated and very, very, very violent because the, the military and the police uh, um, are actually failing at protecting civilians. Civilians are getting killed, wounded. Um, and from the, uh, until the British sends uh, reinforcements in 20, it, it, it's a mess. There's so many thousands of files already yeah. online yeah. at the minute. <laughs> so where can people access them? Everything is released through the Military Archives website. When you go on militaryarchives.ie, uh, we would have a military service pension service, uh, pensions collection pages, and everything is explained on that. You can access old contextual information, legislation being explained, um, who were the board of assessors, who were the referees, who were the advisory committee. So you have all of that, and then you can search the collection under individuals, membership, or administration. Thank you very much, Cecile. You're very Thank welcome. You.